Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello, Falta Stock, and you're very welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, Series 4, Episode 5. We're coming to you from County Cork in Ireland, and in the show, we love to share with you all about the places of your Irish ancestors and bring their stories to life. In today's show, we'd like to go right back there to the beginning and take you behind the scenes of Irish ancestry research. Stay with us and see what surprises that Mike and I have discovered over the last five years. Mike and I began helping people search for their Irish ancestors by answering over, wait for it, 90,000 questions. What we discovered along the way, we'd love to share with you in today's Letter from Ireland show. But listeners, remember, before we start, you'll find all the links mentioned in today's show in the show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash four zero five. Now, for the last five years, our membership site, which we call The Green Room, is where we've helped people discover their Irish ancestry roots. But we also made some very interesting discoveries along the way ourselves regarding Irish ancestry, both here in Ireland and when we travelled on the Irish Ancestry Trail to other countries that our ancestors may be moved to. So I hope you'll join us now as Mike and I share some surprising observations with you. Mike Collins, it's great to have you with us in studio. I've just promised the listeners, (laughs) welcome, that we're going to go back and maybe tell them where it all began. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Five plus years at this stage. I mean, we were just talking about this the other day, Karina, and there's, there's been... How to put it, I suppose if you're kind of the sort of person just writes a book or something and fires it out there and meets the fans every now and again, that's one sort of uh, operation. But in our case, we found very, very quickly that as soon as you actually put something out there, a hundred questions came back, you know. And I suppose rather than actually kind of, you know, putting our hands to our heads and saying, how on earth do we deal with all these? We kind of embraced it and started first on Facebook then on the letter from Ireland five years ago, then in the green room to embrace so many of those questions. And uh, I I still can't get over it really. But you know, it really is amazing at the same time that we have that letter going out every Sunday morning to tens of thousands of people of tens of thousands of people of Irish descent all over the world. And in just bringing up those stories about everything from the Irish weather to surnames to counties, history and culture, that, you know, you literally and I literally have to put some days aside every week just to deal with all the answers. Don't I know it. You were quick to co-opt me there for helping with those answers. I had no choice. (laughs) So, um, you know, I guess the five years for us, because it's our our birthday, really, this five-year birthday, um, some things came up that surprised us, though, about a lot of the interactions, questions and answers going back and forth between us and the readers. And we discovered some broad themes and ideas related to the Irish diaspora spread all around the world. And I believe you decided to call them some observations. 
that sounds like a good word because yeah. there's no conclusions there, that's for sure. <laughs> so these 12 observations, I think it would be great to have a chat and discover what they are today. And, and to make it easier, I'm going to divide them into four sections. So let's see. I'm sure our listeners are really wondering what it is we noticed over the past five years. Maybe they'll agree with some of the observations and maybe some of them will resonate with you listeners. Uh, why don't you see which ones you agree or disagree with? So let's kick off. Right. I mentioned our observations are broadly divided into four main sections. Um, and the first section I think that we'll mention here is some of our earliest observations. Yeah, and there was a few surprises in there for us at least. And remember, I suppose our context was we were actually living on the island of Ireland. Uh, nice sheltered lives. And uh, there's a lot of things we didn't really think about. And uh, quite early on, we got surprised by some of those things. Uh, those early observations. So I think it'd be interesting to share those in a few minutes. Great. And our second grouping then was uh, regarding people of Irish ancestry around the world. So this was really relating to people of Irish descent who are living outside the island of Ireland yeah, presently. And we have an incredible diaspora in that sense, if we use that word, because, you know, it's like 10 times the amount of people in the diaspora around the world compared to those currently living on the island of Ireland. And that's skewed way, way towards the people living outside Ireland compared to most of the diasporas, be it, um, you know, German, etc. And of course, section three, where we made some very interesting observations. Well, these were easy for us because these were observations relating to the people of Irish descent living on the island of Ireland, oh, yeah. namely ourselves and others presently. And, and then I suppose in one sense, they weren't quite surprises to us for that reason. But I think they're continuous surprises to a lot of people who are pursuing their family history research, either by traveling over here or trying to communicate with people on this island. Now, we're going to have fun with that section, oh, I yeah. think. And finally, the fourth part was about researching your Irish family history. Yeah, it became very apparent that there are certain quirks and certain things that you need to be aware of when actually researching your Irish family history. And I, I think a lot of people have come across these and perhaps either given up as, and call them a brick wall or the cause of a brick wall, or indeed kind of worked around to become quite skilled in understanding how to approach Irish family history research. Well, I'm excited to get, let's kick this off and let's get started. And uh, our earliest observations, as we started to write that letter and people started to write back to us and Mondays and Tuesdays became answering day in uh, in County Cork for us on the letter. Can you share, Mike, maybe some of those early observations with us? Sure, yeah, let's get going with those. Well, Karina, yeah, I mean, our first observation was, you know, and it sounds a bit obvious when I say it out loud here, it's really all about the surnames, the counties they came from, and the stories that accompanied some of those early replies. That was our first thing that we really, really noticed. So first and foremost, you know, I mean, people are really, really interested in their own Irish surname and quite frankly, not always that interested in other people's surnames. So as soon as we actually put a little kind of note at the bottom of all of our um, letters, you know, please be sure to get back to us with the surnames in your family tree. I think we're inundated really, really quickly. And to this point, I think we actually have about 30 to 35,000 replies. Isn't that about right? That's right. Into which we actually put uh, all of these various surnames um, and we essentially have a database. So, you know, that's been the first thing. We also ask people where do they think uh, the people in their 
uh, families came from. And I suppose at least 60% of them actually know the counties or certainly have it in family lore as to whether they're from County Cork or County Armagh, County Galway and so on. And uh, we've put a lot of this stuff together actually in a way where we have actually presented it back to a lot of our readers to show the main counties that provided the most immigrants, for example, or emigrants in this particular case, uh, the more prominent surnames. And by the way, just before we go on, what's the number one surname in Ireland? Take a guess. Go on. Give it to me, Mike. I'll give you a hint. It begins with an M and finishes with a Y. Manny. And it's not Manny. <laughs> it's actually Murphy. Of course, Murphy. Of course, yeah. See, this is the problem with people who live on the island of Ireland. I They're know. too close to the whole thing. I know. Yes. So we're surrounded by Murphys There here. you go. So, um, but, you know, as I said, this, what comes back, basically, is the actual, um, the surnames in the counties. But it's the stories that people send back, the, the real eye-openers. Well, I'd love you to share that story from right from the beginning with Mary and her dad. That, that, oh, that's yeah, one that yeah. I don't think we'll forget, no, no matter no. how many years pass. You know, because as you said there, there was, a, there was a, as you say, a fierce workload on us at the early times of the actual letter. And in some ways, we're kind of wondering, should we actually continue or not? Do you, know, do you remember that? And uh, fairly early on, we actually got a letter from a lady called, well, we call her Mary in this case. And she basically talked about how she used to get the letter every Sunday morning. And herself and her dad used to actually just kind of, you know, they were close enough already, if you like. But they used to get together every Sunday morning, read the letter and just have a chat about their memories from around the letter. Now, Mary's dad was actually um, unfortunately dying at the time. And by the time she contacted us, he had actually passed away. But she wrote to just to thank us, just to, I suppose, help facilitate the special conversations that they had actually had as a result of that letter. And that was very touching, I must say, in those early days. Yeah, I, th- I, I really, really felt that, you know, the stories and the shared connections that seemed to make us a lot more Irish and people that read our letter felt Irish rather than the dry genealogy reports. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it Would is all about right story. Would that be right to say? It's absolutely, the story. Absolutely. Makes the connection. And you know what? I think there's a very good way of putting that. It's not about the name. It's about the character. You know, Ireland is made up of not a people with a group of surnames, but a group of characters. Excellent. And those characters are characters in their own stories. And everybody else has a walk-in part. But, you know, they're well able to actually tell the story then with those people as part. So, you know, whether we liked it or not, uh, we were targeted with those stories from an early date. So that was the first thing we really noticed, you know, and talked a lot about was it was all about the surnames, the counties and especially the stories. The stories and the connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was another observation as well about Ireland. Will we move on to number two? Yes, please Because it was an early observation, as you say, and it really had to do with that notion that people have. And it's kind of, it's what we call a lazy but kind of accurate stereotype in our minds of what Irish people look like and what, you know, what Germans sound like and what Italians sound like. But Irish people, of course, are meant to have freckles and red hair. And, uh, you know, we lost out on those, Mike. Oh, yeah. Well, neither neither of us got that. Well, the plastic surgeon took care of that anyway. So we say no more. Uh, I'm only cutting folks. And um, yeah, so essentially... The point is that Ireland is a way more of a melting pot than people realise. So if you think about, let's say, 10,000 years ago, Karina, there was actually this country where we're standing just now was covered in a layer of ice. You know, there was there was no humans on it. So from that point onwards, the island started to fill up with people. 
and we had those early Stone Age settlers, you know, some t- people called the Fear of Bulg and the Tua de Danon. Then we had the later Celtic so-called invaders at the time, actually, mm. uh, which provided a lot of what we call the Gaelic culture today and Gaelic language and so on. So you're back about 500 BC there, Mike. There you go. And so where did they come from? Well, obviously mainland Europe in the first place. Um, and after that, really, kind of the, I suppose, the incomings never stopped. You had the Vikings in the 800s, moving on to the Normans in the 1100s. And there we have loads of extra surnames after being introduced as well. So, you know, we've got all the kind of the Fitzgeralds and we got the, Fit, you know, the various Roaches and Condons and so on, all coming and bringing the Norman surnames. Uh, we have the Galloglass Warriors, the um, the English, essentially. Plantations start in the 1500s that, uh, you know, as far as we're concerned, are as Irish as anybody else here. Now we're Give it a generation or two, yeah. So now we have a big melting pot, really, of different peoples, haven't we? We do. And, you know, that has to be picked apart as we actually, you know, look at and think about those various cultures, the various languages, um, how they settled, where they settled, uh, how long they settled for, in some cases, before moving on again. So, you know, the point is Ireland is a much bigger melting pot than we give credit for. Excellent. No, there was a surprise as well with the Ulster Americans. There you go. Yeah, and it, it, that's an interesting one for us, I think, really, Karina, wasn't it? Because I suppose our third really early observation was just how many of our readers and listeners actually had ancestors who came from Ireland in the 1700s, especially to the colonies of North America uh, that was later to become the USA. So, you know, many people think, I suppose, in terms of the famine in Ireland as being the prime time to actually provide, uh, let's say, kind of the main emigration trails out of Ireland. But if you go back to the actual 1700s, Karina, you know, you're you're talking about a time when, let's say, the Ulster, the, the Scottish, in this case, primarily Presbyterian people, would have actually settled in the counties of Ulster, they would have been there for maybe kind of a generation, two or three. From the uh, plantations. But yeah, yes. the, what we call the plantations. And quite frankly, at that point, they were, they considered themselves Irish. So at that point in time, they started to face increase in rents. They started to face local famines and so on. And guess what? Well, you know, in some ways, kind of a pioneering was in their blood. So they noticed other opportunities in those colonies in North America and they headed off. So really up to, let's say, the time of American um, independence, you're talking roughly 250,000 people or thereabouts leaving north of Ireland, uh, the northern counties of Ireland, and heading over to the Carolinas and uh, all that sort of place. So not surprising then that many of our readers, when they wrote back to us, were speaking about that ancestry. Well, do you know what was surprising, for me at least, was the fact that they hold dear to themselves the sense of Irish heritage from that very specific connection back to Ireland. And that made up around about 20% of our readers. And I did not expect that until I saw it. I mean, 20% is a lot of people. So, you know, we got all those kind of members out in places like Kentucky, as I mentioned just earlier, whose folks arrived in the area in the 1700s, you know. And as far as they're concerned, they're as Irish as anybody else. Quite amazing. Never expected that. Well, that's part one and our earliest observations. And I'm I'm sure there could be loads more. But just to recap there, the stories, the surnames and the counties were really what we found people connected with for their Irish heritage. That Ireland itself was a melting pot with many different peoples arriving on our shores down through the centuries. And then, you know, that the Ulster Scots also constituted a sizable portion of our readers and reminding us that not all our ancestors left Ireland, as you say, in the famine times. 
So it was, it was great for all these people to connect with their Irish heritage, um, Mike, as you say, over the last 250 years, I think those people would be gone from Ireland. The and they're all got. just their ancestors, descendants who just waiting for us to come along and reconnect them all. <laughs> so that brings us up to part two of our observations on the letter from Ireland over the last five years and the questions and answers that we've received. And this, of course, now part two is about people of Irish ancestry around the world. So if you're listening and you're around the world, this is for you. Okie doke. With part two and people of Irish ancestry around the world, what we really mean, of course, is our observations, Mike, relating to people of Irish descent living outside the island of Ireland presently. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose kind of, um, you know, in one sense, this stuff was kind of news to us because we live on the island of Ireland, Korean, isn't that right? Very often you don't see or observe what's what's in front of you, really, do yeah, you? Yeah, you just live in your own bubble, basically. Um so, you know, I suppose the first observation was that people of Irish ancestry are very passionate about their Irish heritage. I agree with that for sure. That uh, bowled me over in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like, um, you know, everything from the Irish walls that they might have in the house with all the kind of mementos and so on, uh, right through to kind of, you know, I suppose kind of cherishing certain gatherings uh, of the family and the stories that might have been passed down to them by mums and dads down through the, the generations uh, right through to actually attending maybe very specific kind of uh, events, be it during the summer and Irish fests or, you know, kind of um, Patrick's Day and so on and so forth. And, you know, it became, uh, I think we continually underestimated this because what we found as well then, though, there was kind of a sense of dislocation at times and frustration amongst people of Irish descent outside the island of Ireland that sometimes they, they can feel it very strongly when they kind of come back to Ireland, if they have the fortunate chance, which could be great. And, you know, they experience the friendship of the people. They can walk some of the grounds their ancestors came from. But they can also feel a division between themselves and the people who currently live on the island of Ireland. You know, a bit of a frustration there as well. Well, one of the things I noticed, Mike, though, that you put your finger on in the early days was when you decided to write the Bill of Irish Ancestry Rights, which really sums up what those people would like, I think, what people living living outside of Ireland, connected to Ireland, would really like, those that Bill of Ancestry yeah, Rights. That, yeah, I, that, that was, I think, a finger on the pulse of what was happening. Yeah, and again, even that was kind of surprising, you know, because we, we did it with, I'd say we took about kind of, I uh, must have been a thousand different readers. Um, and at the time, we got certainly about 200 replies. And what we kind of did was, on the one hand, you could kind of say, well, to somebody living on the island of Ireland, what's important to you? What would you like to have the rights to with regards to your ancestry? And most of the things you're about to hear, most people living on the island of Ireland wouldn't really kind of give much of a toss about, if you pardon the expression. Because Might not have got any replies no, to that No, question. it's like, what? Well, I mean, that means nothing to me because I have it around me all. It's like fish and water. I, I can't see the water, you know. But when we asked folks outside the island of Ireland, and remember, we're talking about kind of up to 100 million people around the world, there was, uh, we put together basically a bill of ancestry rights, which kind of keeps us in the straight and narrow in terms of what we do in your Irish heritage in the green room and so on. And the number one thing was to know which of the surnames of my family tree are Irish. That's a simple request in a way. It's But we see it every day and we hear it every day. 
Then number two on the ancestry rights was to know what my surname means, its heritage and which part of Ireland it comes from. Very pivotal too. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, it does make a difference whether you're from Donegal or Cork or whatever. Uh, number three, note the specific details of the Irish ancestors of my family tree and where each individual comes from. I think that was probably our incentive to start the green room at the time was to kind of start to offer service to kind of dig in a bit deeper around that. Then there's kind of number four, because in a way, number three was all about the records. But number four was know what life was like for my Irish ancestors at the time they lived here. Um, and there you're into kind of the story, the sense of occupation, what the sense of heritage. What yeah. was happening what in was Ireland happening? at the time? Yeah. Why were, did they leave? There you go. What yeah. were the pressures? Absolutely. Yeah. And then number five um, was to see the places of my Irish ancestors, to walk their land and homestead. I mean, that's very precious to a lot of people. And of course, we started the... Um, the homeland the, the homeless features. features, yeah, to do just that and help people do that inside the green room. And finally, the final piece on the actual ancestry rights was to connect with my Irish living relatives, if they wanted to connect with me, you know. There, there, there is that, there, and all of those, I think, have one word, which is connection, you know. And that Bill of Ancestry Rights, I, I believe that the President of Ireland actually uh, congratulated you on that, Mike. Yeah, he, he got back to us. In fact, we put his letter on the actual uh, Michael T. Higgins, President Higgins, got back to us on that. And um, he was actually very impressed with this fact that this had been kind of, I suppose, kind of crowdsourced and put together. So that's our Bill of Ancestry Rights, Karina. I think it encapsulates that first point of how people outside the island of Ireland are passionate about their Irish heritage. Wonderful. And mothers were very important as well uh, in bringing the culture to the areas outside of Ireland well, and continuing that Irish culture. Yeah, this was a, this was our next observation, basically was. And, you know, it's, it's a bit obvious to everybody when you start to explore it, but only then. And that's the fact that we often hear the phrase mother tongue. And I think that actually has a particular meaning in this context. So what, what you notice, just for example, um, is that a lot of the actual early settlers in Ireland, let's say the Normans that might have come as adventurous soldiers, right up to the Cromwellian soldiers, they would have been given granted land in Ireland, let's say. They would have come by themselves as uh, and looked to intermarry locally. So you had single men really coming well, to the countryside. Yeah, and therefore they did not bring with them their, the mother of their children, so to speak, or perhaps their own mother. And as a result they tended then to kind of be kind of subsumed, if you like, or assimilated into the local culture. So they blended into the Irish culture. There you go. The Irish girls. Yeah. In other words, in a lot of cases, it was the actual, the woman, the mother, who set the scene, to set the heritage and decided, you know, this is where we're going to go with our children. So, you know, you actually find, for example, a lot of those Cromwellian adventurer soldiers that actually arrived in the actual 1600s granted land Actually, in a lot of cases, they actually adopted uh, to Roman Catholicism. And so you find lots and lots of kind of surnames in Ireland that actually came from that time. Uh, you find the same with some of the Viking times, Normans. And then by comparison, you also see the other side of things where you got whole families of, let's say, Presbyterian settlers that came from Scotland, just for example, in the um, 1500s and 1600s. And they very resolutely hung on to their culture. Where the whole family unit came over. They held, yeah. they held separate cultures. Yeah, yeah. Again, and I think it's very much with the mother dictating terms in a lot of cases. And you see this kind of rolling on post-immigration as well. So people leave Ireland and often 
and I think what's happened, you often see kind of a lot of the actual Irish families where you got that strong maternal kind of um, influence that the Irish culture really continues down through the generations, the stories, the songs and so on. I'll just interject there, Mike. I was speaking with a friend yesterday and she was saying how she grew up in England, but with an Irish mother. And it really wasn't until she went to university that she felt that she really merged and uh, integrated into the English culture. Noticed the local English for the first time. Exactly. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? It is quite fascinating, even today. I mean, most of my aunts, for example, just like that, um, lived in London all their lives, uh, more, a lot longer than they ever lived in Ireland. And uh, till the day they died, they had thick East Galway accents, every one of them. It's fascinating, really. Yeah. So that was uh, the mother tongue. The mothers really brought the culture. That that really became apparent in the stories. Um, and I, the last yeah, surprise there. For people outside, basically, it, it's that. People, and this was a real surprise, actually. That people sometimes that really have this passion for Ireland may never, never been, get to see it. And they never will be here. And... It's like Ireland exists as a separate country to both where they live and where Ireland is now. And it's like the Ireland of their imagination that they visit on a regular basis. And it's just as real and just as dear to them as anything else. And I would say, at the, I would take a guess, and I think it's based on fact, um, roughly 60% to 65% of all of our readers have never been to Ireland, never will. You know? And I suppose kind of that that kind of helps and hinders in lots of different ways. <laughs> it keeps things pure. Um, it does, but it, it, it also shows, I think, how important that letter from Ireland to foster that connection. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, I mean, that was a real surprise to me. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I always deal with whoever says that on kind of a realistic basis. And, you know, I don't say, ah, sure, you're grand, you will be here, don't worry. You know, it's like, oh, well, come on, let's let, 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 let's let's visit Ireland together in your mind. So, you know, that's essentially what we want to do. Well, part two, we've learned so much about really people of Irish ancestry around the world. I was surprised, I must say again, by the passion that these people had for Ireland and how they remembered it so passionately. Um, also, that mothers are so important, keeping the Irish connections. We had so many stories about maybe recipes that had been passed down, Irish sayings or, call, or what we call pishogs and traditions that had been kept alive in families by, by the mothers. And then that final observation that was so many people keep the connection to Ireland and love it dearly, even though they'll never travel here. That's it. Yeah. Part three here, Mike, regarding people who live on the island of Ireland, and I think we'll have to include ourselves there since we're coming to everybody oh, from yeah. Cork, is going to let a few secrets out of the bag, I think, today. And not all of them, Karina. Uh, well, well, the first one up, I think, is, is, is so true that people in Ireland are not really interested in genealogy. Yeah, and we're kind of flipping the coin here a little bit because I think this is something that we're very aware of and very conscious of. But a lot of people who are so passionate outside this island in researching their Irish family history just assume that everybody here is just going to be waiting for them to give all the answers and uh, either kind of by post or by email or when they arrive. And it's a bit of a shock and a surprise that, you know, a lot of people aren't that interested in what we call genealogy. So that their passion isn't shared by Irish people. Yeah, but let's be very distinct here, shall we? Okay. so uh, my late father, who died just last year, if you were to ask him anything about the place that he was brought up and lived until he was about 20 down at West Cork, 
he would know all the townland names, he would know all of the families in all those townlands, he'd know all the relationships between them, he'd probably know that each who went to England, who went to America when they came back, who married whom, uh, he'd know all the stories that weren't to be told as well, all that stuff. But I remember him asking him just a couple of years ago, uh, and I said, this is when we first started getting interested in genealogy. Yeah. I, I remember you asking your dad that question. Yeah. So you, you asked him. Well, well, well so sorry, but the, just to keep that distinction going, yeah. asking him about the location, asking the story is no problem. But if I was to ask the question that was, you know, are you into genealogy? His answer, he just kind of give you a look for a moment or two and say, well, not really. And therein lies the actual dilemma people have, really, because in one sense, what was in his head was pure gold to any Irish family history researcher or genealogist, because, you know, he would have had the parts that linked all those records that are actually there. But ultimately, he's just not in genealogy. In fact, you know, he'd probably find the name itself just a bit of a turnoff. He's just not into it at all. It was for those who were outside the island. It was for, in his case, it was for just one priest who made it his life mission to connect all the colonists of West Cork from where he was based in Chicago. Um, But, you know, he was considered by my father a bit of an eccentric character for doing it that way and visiting all those people and so on. But so he wasn't really into genealogy. He'd faint at the thought of actually having his DNA tested, for example. You know, yes. for, it just didn't make sense. I think your dad was the same as well, really, wasn't he? In Absolutely. Terms of, yeah. But it, it brings up the next observation, and, and that is that people in Ireland really look at things at a very local level, oh, as your so? dad was doing, and my dad would have been very much the same, knowing all about the locale and being very disappointed if we didn't show a similar interest. You, you know, Karina, I mean, if you look at Ireland, the island from outside, you see a place that's roughly, I don't know, maybe kind of um, a third the size of, let's say, uh, the mainland of Britain, uh, or indeed, let's say, kind of half the size of the state of Victoria in Australia, or a little a little dot in the middle of Texas. And you think, well, you know, how hard could that be to get your head around? And the answer is actually quite hard indeed. <laughs> because, yeah, just as you say there, if you move from one part of just where we are now, County Cork, to a different the accent changes, the pronunciation of local surnames and place name changes. And some people just don't like leaving where they are, even to head up to the big smoke up to the city, you know. So when you say there, people look at things in a very local way. I find a lot of our folks, for example, they might kind of land one day in Galway and they might say something like, uh, oh, I'm looking for my ancestors and they were the, uh, let's say the... The boils. Okay? So you're getting on maybe to the third observation about approaching people in Ireland for we'll help. We'll come back to that in a second, actually. Yeah, because the the boy they, they then hear somebody local say, "Ah, oh, we've no boils here. That's not that's that's an English name, isn't it?" But then you move up to Donegal and you're surrounded by boils, and you can't throw a stone, but you're going to hit a boil. And the point is, even the surnames are all very localized. Everything is very very localized, and people tend to think about things in a very very local way and you know that's not a new thing i i must say myself when i went off to college and up to limerick from cork all and that heard way. all that way an hour and a half up the road and heard the different accents which would have come from Kerry and uh, and all around maybe munster and a little bit up into uh, leinster and i actually thought people were putting on an accent so yeah we we really grow up in a very local way and if you don't travel which maybe many people you know 50 60 70 100 years ago didn't here in ireland you were left with a very local knowledge 
But just to kind of say that then, Korean, because as you say, it kind of connects with the next observation, because if you're looking to research and you're doing so online and so on, dropping yourself into the right location and just starting to talk to the people usually opens up, the wrong word is Pandora's box, the right word is a kind of an amazing set of connections, because local people typically know the local stuff if you're in the right locality. I suppose that came home very much to us as we did the homeland features for members of the Green Room where Absolutely. we travelled to their counties and spoke to people in the locale. Will we talk about uh, ringing the Irish bell, will we? Do you remember that? I mean, you know, because an awful lot of people, they actually have trouble as well. This is an observation, approaching the locals for help um, without getting kind of shoved off a bit, you know. And, and sometimes it could be kind of online or by post and you just don't get a reply. And I think a lot of Irish people are a bit shy of advanced planning. So in some ways, you're better off just turning up and being spontaneous, which we can afford to do because we're here. But often that spontaneity has to do with driving into the middle of a farmyard and leaving the car running. The local dog comes out barking and then the farmer comes out two minutes later to see what the dog is barking at. That's true. And it's happened to us. There you go. And then you start chatting. And the chat tends to be about the weather. It tends to be about kind of, uh, let's say, kind of the local sporting kind of events. And then before you know it, we're kind of maybe saying, oh, we have a friend in the US or whatever. And they're just wondering, have you ever heard of such and such a name? And then you see them kind of looking off into the distance and telling you exactly who you should be talking to. Isn't that right? It's so true. You're describing exactly what happens to us on the Homeland Features. It's like nine out of 10 times. Absolutely, Yeah. yeah. So kind of understanding that you know, approaching people in Ireland for help. People in Ireland are very, very um, knowledgeable about stuff in their own location. They aren't that into genealogy for the most part. They've more than enough cousins in what they can cope with. But if you just start to talk about the local stuff that interests them, before you know it, they'll be pointing in the right directions, you know. And I think it's kind of important then to understand how to approach them. Very well put, Mike. So in summary there for part three uh, about us Irish people living in Ireland, uh, it's a bit of a wake up call for us Irish really, isn't it? It's true. It is a rare Irish person that you'll meet who's interested in genealogy, as you say. But we do look at things in a very local way. As I said, my dad used to be really upset if we didn't take an interest in our own locality growing up and know all about the people living around us in County Cork. But uh, that goes on just to prove your other observation, Mike, that we do tend to look at things in a very local way. And I think you hit the nail on the head there with the observations on, you know, the tourists coming and asking for help. Sometimes the result isn't what they anticipated, but there is a particular way, an Irish way of going about it. And if you keep an open mind, you'll reap the benefits. Well, let's move on. So to the last part. Sounds good. So this brings us, Mike, to the last part, part four of your 12 observations. And in some ways, the previous parts were some things we hadn't really considered, whereas we would have been focusing ourselves on maybe this part four coming up here, which is all about researching your Irish family history. And that's where we would have put our emphasis. So we've learned a lot ourselves, really. Oh, listen. Uh, It's been an education. We're a few foot ahead of everybody else, really, you know, when it comes down to it. And now the interesting things, though, about uh, researching Irish family history and Irish genealogy versus others, because we do hear people write, oh, I can get such um, records. My family came from this country or that country, but Ireland is a disaster. (laughs) Hansel and Gretel, Adam and Eve, I have them all sorted. 
Uh, and my folks that arrived in the Mayflower, they're fine too. So the problem with Irish genealogy, that's a tricky one, isn't yeah, it, for well, most well, people? It is, it is tricky, but an awful lot of it is what people believe before they go into it, you know. And as you say there, I suppose our next observation is the key differences in Irish genealogy versus other national genealogies. And, you know, if you kind of work it out, Karina, one level family history research is really simple. Um, in a sense, it's only a question of combining names, dates, events and places in the right order. But of course, I'm being a bit cheeky in saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, because really in practice, it's an awful lot more challenging, but also a lot more fun, you know, than just that. So, but there are some complicating factors that lie just in the background of all your Irish family research. And I know you've noticed these factors come up quite a bit. Yeah. And so you've, you've, you've actually two listed points, them really, out, yeah. those two points. Yeah. 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 So they are. Yeah. I mean, one is the Irish language, uh-huh. basically. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And as a fluent Irish speaker, I know that you actually That's, understand. It's quite tricky for people, for sure. Exactly. And, you know, what it comes back to is if you just kind of realize that pretty much all of our surnames and place names were put into a pla- into place at a time and into use at a time when, um, I guess, kind of our Irish was the everyday language it of Ireland. Irish was the spoken language. Yeah, and Irish all these Gaelic. names were in Irish. That's it. And essentially what happened over time, of course, is those local... You know, everybody in Ireland knew what they were. They knew the local place names. They knew other people's uh, surnames in Irish. They understood. But then you had an English ear coming in and saying, well, that sounds like something. I'll write that thing down. So you had the anglicization of Irish surnames and uh, place names over time. But then, of course, you had the complicating factor of immigration and those surnames and place names going abroad and uh, being listened to again and again kind of taken down like in a form of, can we still say Chinese whispers? You know, where they just kind of morphed, if you like, over time in many, many different directions. So the original surname had many variations at the end of the day. Yeah, and even forenames, if you kind of want to say that. You know, like, um, and people, you know, when you got things like, just to add to that, you had people kind of adopting the same kind of given names in their family. And you had maybe kind of, you know, 10 Johns or five Bridgets in the local family. That's Um, exasperating when you're wondering which John Murphy is yours. (laughs) But they didn't use those names. They, you know, suddenly you have, let's say, Bridget becoming Delia or, you know, another one becoming Bridie. So the pet names then were very different again. Absolutely. Yeah. So so that's, you know, understanding what the what the things can be so you can quickly see possibilities with kind of a, a very broad notion of the Irish language can actually be very, very helpful. That's the first thing. So we don't teach people how to speak Irish. But we do say, watch out for this, watch out for that. And here's where you can find and, out more. And I have seen that over the years where people have suddenly realized that the surname that they have could also be spelt in a different way. And suddenly they can find the records for that name. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, on the other hand, then we have the second point, I suppose, about the key difference in Irish genealogy is an awful lot of people believe that the records were burned in 1922 and that was it. Everything burnt. Yeah, where it's not that straightforward. Uh, yes, certain things were burned. Other census records were pulped, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, before the advent of, let's say, civil records in 1864, it was up to, up to the vagaries of the local church and the local priest, effectively, as to what language they were kept in, where they were kept, how long they were kept, uh, whether or not they actually were going to be kind of correctly kind of annotated on that particular day, 
you know, lots of little kind of quirky things like that. So understanding kind of where to go and also actually understanding kind of the typical errors in transcription that occurs based upon back to my first point about the Irish language uh, can help in actually kind of navigate the Irish records. So the point is an awful lot of some Irish records are not available. That's a given. Maybe not as many as let's say your German records. But, you know, Irish genealogists and family history researchers become quite adept. They have to become very inventive. Yeah, and at uh, using land uh, records, at using kind of substitutes and various types. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, luckily, that's, that's lucky for us. Um, so, yeah, many of those things we actually cover in the green room. So I'm kind of quite happy we're getting better at that as well. Yes. And we've seen that work really well there, actually. Now, one thing you always uh, mention, Mike, and I've seen you say to a few people in the green room as well, is that it's better to go wider on your research before you start going way, way, way back in your tree. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes we get people kind of come in and just start off straight away. Hey, I'm stuck in 1780, can't go back any further. Um, And guess what? The chances are you won't be able to go back any further with direct records. So what you do? Well, we suggest... A lot more because you will become a much more skilled researcher anyway, skilled family history person, if you go wider and understand the neighbours, understand the various connections of the family at times you do know about, um, understand post-immigration, for example, just who else was actually in that census uh, from the same location or maybe with the surname um, in that earliest record. So going wider and understanding the context in more detail just helps people make much more educated guesses. And come up with those possibilities and it's quite frankly Queen, it's much more fun as well absolutely you know? yeah yes. i mean I, I give you one example there. i was just answering a question this morning and it was somebody with the surname moy which is from donegal and you know they gave the kind of the history so and the so surname on surname moy yeah moy yeah as we would call it i'm sure in donegal it's a different but you know she was a kelly who married a moy um and she was interested in that person's kind of grandson in that case right but didn't I happen just by pure chance to find a death certificate for, in this case, a Rose Moy? And she she was Rose Kelly Moy originally. And she, the informant was an actual Kelly. And then I noticed that that person got listed in a particular townland. And then I was able to check adjoining townlands and notice we had Moys and Kellys living there. So by kind of just widening things out, in this case from the 1850s, we were able to go all the way back into the 1700s. And actually just start to kind of get much better guesses. I won't say this actually definite at this point, but it's that widening out and understanding the lie of the land, how the various, you know, what people were likely to do at the time, who they were likely to marry, um, where they were likely to have their baptisms and children. And I know you've written letters on that yeah. and I know you've done a lot of training on that in the green room to help people to go wider yeah. and find out a little bit more about what's Absolutely. going on. And then they may get to go back. Yeah. But and, go wider first. But now we'll go forward. And now we'll go on. And Mike, DNA, that's an, that's certainly something with regard to Irish records. DNA, how it's changing our understanding of breaking down those brick walls. Isn't it interesting, Karina? I mean, most people probably don't know what DNA stands for. Um, Do rubbing, blue Off you acid. go there, yeah. <laughs> something chemical anyway. Yeah, um, I used to know that in my chemistry. <laughs> And, you know, the, the thing about it is, I have to laugh really, because in the early days, um, DNA was something I think was inhabited mostly by DNA nerds. Uh, yes, I'm talking to you boys. And these people who actually work really into kind of, um, I suppose, kind of snipping their SMPs and 
overlapping their sentient organs. We've lost me now. Anyway. There you go. And, and that's what that's what happens to me as well. And I suppose over time, the actual databases started to grow and people saw it as being a realistic way of breaking past brick walls because they could get their DNA tested and ideally somebody would actually show up as a connection that they could suddenly share research with and yeah. ideally between Third, the two of them. fourth, cousin, fifth, Absolutely. Not, not to mention, of course, um, non-marriage events and as we like to call them and uh, adoptions and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's been such a help for so many people. But, you know, I suppose kind of in terms of kind of DNA, it is changing our understanding. And I, I must say, my kind of thoughts on this would have been very different five years ago or three years ago. But today it's becoming a really useful tool. However, of course, when it comes to Irish uh, DNA testing mm-hmm. and for ancestry purposes. We have purposes, one big fly in the ointment there, don't we, really? Well, yeah, I suppose one thing is most people on the island of Ireland aren't testing and have no interest or use for testing for ancestry uh, DNA for ancestry purposes. Yes. It's changed a small bit, if you like, but small not very bit, much. But that, that, that is a very much, I think, frustrating for yeah. a lot of our uh, listeners and our readers yeah. who are trying to trace their Irish there ancestry. There you go. And I, I guess kind of, you know, the other thing as well to say, Karina, is the, the ethnic mix, just say, for example, the ethnic mix, which is a lot of what these DNA tests are actually uh, based on in the first place. Know your ethnic mix, where did you come from? Again, most people in the Isle of Ireland are not interested in that. So unless you're kind of a yes. hardcore researcher, yes. you're, you're not going to do it. No. So it's kind of an interesting conundrum there. And just to kind of add to that as well, Karina, there's the idea of, um, you know, we have records on the one hand and we have, let's say, and stories and people's knowledge and we have DNA on the other hand. And sometimes I do notice some people just assume the records are missing or they can't find them and they just go down the DNA route and they kind of get disappointed when they don't find the answer. Whereas actually spending more time in the records in a kind of a wide way, in a knowledgeable way, can actually offer an awful lot. Um, so that come the day when one of your cousins contacts you, DNA-wise, you have an awful lot to share with them. You know, so we do encourage people to kind of don't give up on the records and, to share. and hope for the DNA. Yeah. Um, but having said that, you know, it's a fantastic corroboration tool. So if you have a kind of a theory that your folks came from County Mayo, but you're not quite sure... Suddenly doing your DNA testing and getting lots of matches from around that with certain surnames can be a huge kind of huge benefit. confidence builder. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we spend a lot of our time and I think it'll be more and more working with people and helping them to understand what's useful and what's not in terms of DNA testing for Irish ancestry research. Excellent. So really in part four there, I suppose the key differences, Mike, you mentioned that you've observed when researching your Irish family history is, of course, the Irish language, the link that has and the non-availability of some Irish records and how inventive that you have to be. And best to go wider on your research before going further back. And then that DNA is changing our understanding. But the records, if possible, are the best bet if your ancestors were alive in Ireland in the 1800s. So don't expect, uh, I guess, all the answers to come from DNA. Well, that's the four parts, Mike, and the 12 observations there. So Are we finished already? Five years of writing and 90,000 answers, questions going backwards and forwards. Um, it's been such I a ride. How, I, long, how long more are we going to keep this up, Karina, by I'm, the way? I'm not sure, Mike. Not a few days, maybe? You, you have been doing this now for five years every Sunday morning, and your reach is going further and further. But I, I think really of all the observations, it's the connections that you're making for people, yeah. the connections to Ireland 
and back to their Irish heritage that will stand out for me as the as the main motivation. And just to add a little bit to that, Karina, as well, the, the added connection of people connecting with each other in the green room is, has been such an eye-opener to us as well. Absolutely. So, Mike, thanks for coming in and sharing that with us. You're most welcome, Karina. It was great fun. Plenty of food for thought in today's show, but unfortunately, it's time for us to go. And a warm thanks to Mike Collins for being with us and for you listeners for your company on today's Letter from Ireland show. Thanks too to all our friends in the green room and our readers on the Letter from Ireland. Don't forget now to have your own say. Do let us know if any of the 12 observations, maybe they resonated with you. Maybe you agree with some of them. Maybe you disagree with others. Do let us know and you can go to do that at the show note link at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 405. Do let your comments there. We'd love to hear from you. Slán everybody. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next time on the Letter from Ireland show. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, The Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show and you can find full details of The Green Room at letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán gafól, Karina.